Anthony DeMello was an Indian Jesuit priest. He was born in Bombay and he grew up there. And during his lifetime, he became very well known as a spiritual teacher and a writer. In the mid 70s, when he was in his 40s, he began to experiment with a form of meditation called Vipassana, which is widely used by those who practice Buddhism. It's meant to give a person insight into the true nature of reality. This practice transformed his understanding of spirituality and it opened him up to the gifts contained in other faith traditions. Y'all, I love his book. It's called Awareness, The Perils and Opportunities of Reality. He makes the point in his book over and over and over again with the use of all kinds of different metaphors and stories that in order to experience authentic and transformative spirituality, we have got to wake up to what is real. He says throughout his book over and over again, wake up, wake up, wake up. The essence of true spirituality, he says, is awareness. He believed this so passionately that he even goes so far as to say that when we live and speak and act from a state of unawareness or spiritual blindness, we make an ass of ourselves. I'm gonna write a book someday, he says, and the title's gonna be, I'm an ass, you're an ass. <laughs> DeMello can be a little bit jolting, but he makes his point really well. I mean, so often we just run on autopilot, right? We make quick judgments based on faulty assumptions. One time, I, James and I were getting ready to go, go to a potluck and I was gonna make a corn casserole. So I looked in the pantry for the cans of corn that I had asked James to buy at the grocery store. They weren't there, at least not all of them. I was missing one can of creamed corn. <laughs> Can you believe it? Coincidentally, at about that exact same time, James called out from the living room and said, hey, what are we taking to the potluck? I walked in and I said, well, I was going to take corn casserole, but you didn't get all the corn that I asked you to buy. I have only one can of cream corn, lots of whole kernel corn. Well, Apparently, I said this with a tone in my voice <laughs> and a particular look on my face. James took offense, uh, took offense because he knew darn well that he had bought exactly what I asked him to buy at the grocery store and that it was in the pantry where I had just been looking. I knew, however, that he was sorely mistaken because I had just looked very carefully at all the corn in the pantry. So I said from the kitchen where he couldn't see my face and <laughs> with a tone that I thought was very pleasant, hmm, this is odd, I can't seem to locate it, honey. Well, a few minutes later, James came into the kitchen, looked in the pantry, produced more than enough corn, sat it on the counter and he walked off. <sighs> well, Anthony DeMello can be jarring, but I, I absolutely think he's onto something. In that moment, I needed to wake up for sure. 
This summer, as I said earlier, we're going to be revisiting a lot of Bible stories that you may have heard as a child um, in Sunday school, but likely you haven't heard them preached or um, haven't studied them in any depth as an adult. None of these stories are in the lectionary, which is that um, collection of readings that's assigned to particular Sundays uh, of worship throughout the year that many churches, including ours, often uses to plan uh, worship. So all of, this, all of the sermons, all of the stories that you hear this summer um, are very rarely preached, if at all. And it's really easy to understand why, because these stories are really strange. They're weird. Balaam and his donkey, when it's told in its entirety, is extremely weird, and it raises some very interesting questions. What we heard a few minutes ago from Aaron is just a very small part of a much larger story that spans three very long chapters in the book of Numbers. In fact, the story of Balaam and his donkey, when it's heard in the context of the full story, is even weirder. It feels like this very awkward addition or insertion. In fact, many biblical scholars actually believe that it was added by the final editors of the book of Numbers in order to make Balaam look like a donkey. Because without the story, what we would see is a prophet who is not an Israelite, who God speaks to and through, and who is more faithful to God than the Israelites ever thought of being. The larger story begins, as Aaron said, when King Balak, the king of Moab, feels threatened because Israel is camped right outside his border. And he has heard lots of stories about how Israel has conquered other armies along the way. And some of the armies that Israel has conquered have conquered uh, or defeated Balak in battle in the past. So King Balak is quite certain that should Israel choose to attack, he will most certainly lose. And he's absolutely terrified. So he decides to do what any strategic king of, king of his time would do. He hires a prophet or a seer to go and curse his enemy. It was a common practice back then. They really believed in the power of curses, and it was the only way that King Balak could imagine getting any kind of edge on Israel. So Balak sends this whole company of princes to Balaam, and he offers him a lot of money to curse Israel. Well, the very first thing that Balaam does, without even blinking an eye, is he tells this company of princes, well, you know what, I can't do anything except what the Lord allows me to do. So I'm going to have to take this to God in prayer. It might take a while. So, I mean, you're welcome to camp here, to spend the night. But I have got to go and pray about this. Well, God tells him no. And so then Balaam tells the princes that he has to refuse, which would not have been an easy thing for him to do because prophets who refused their king often ended up dead. So not only does Balaam have integrity, but he also has a lot of courage. And here's where the story starts to get really bizarre. I'm going to have to read this to y'all. This is right after Balak's servants have arrived for the second time. They've come back and they said to him, look, Balak sent us back because he wants to make sure that you understand what he's offering. You could have anything you want. He'll give you anything if you'll only come back with us and curse Israel for us. 
And this is where our reading begins. Balaam answered Balak's servants, even if Balak gave me his house stuffed with silver and gold, I would not be able to defy the orders of my God to do anything, whether big or little. But come along and stay with me tonight as the others did. I'll see what God will say to me this time. God came to Balaam that night and said, since these men have come all this way to see you, go ahead and go with them. But make sure you do absolutely nothing other than what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went off with the nobleman from Moab. As he was going, though, God's anger flared. The angel of God stood in the road to block his way. And that's where the story that Aaron told the children begins. Y'all, Balaam didn't do anything. He did not do anything at all except what God had specifically told him to do. In fact, what is never emphasized in the children's version of the story is that Balaam always, always seeks God first and he never, not even once in the story ever, fails to do or say what God tells him to. Yet for some reason, God abruptly gets angry with Balaam, sends an angel to block his way, It's weird. Suddenly his donkey's freaking out on him. He won't go where he wants him to. Balaam loses it and begins to do things and say things that he would not normally do that clearly frighten and confuse the donkey. And finally, the donkey blurts out to him, hey, what are you doing? Would you just stop it? Have I ever been anything but a faithful and trusty donkey? I've always gone exactly where you've asked me to go. Why are you hitting me? And I do find it odd that Balaam doesn't find it odd that the donkey talks to him. (laughs) Then scripture says, God helped Balaam see what was going on. Balaam became aware. He woke up and he saw God's angel. I don't know. Maybe the story was included to emphasize the theme that when we speak and act out of spiritual blindness, it's hard to tell who the real donkey is. If Balaam were to write a book, I bet he'd call it, I'm a donkey, you're a donkey. I definitely think that Anthony DeMello was onto something. Still, the insertion of this story is just weird. Because when Balaam finally does see the angel, he falls to the ground repents his sin, has his face in the dirt saying, I've sinned, I'm sorry, God, please. If you don't like what I'm doing, just tell me, I'll do whatever you ask. I'll go straight back home. This whole donkey angel episode implies that Balaam had disobeyed God when in fact he never did. And to make matters even worse or even more odd, I want you to listen now to how the story transitions at this point. Balaam said to God's angel, I have sinned. I had no idea you were standing in the road blocking my way. If you don't like what I'm doing, I'll head back. But God's angel said to Balaam, go ahead, go with them. But only say what I tell you to say, absolutely no other word. And so Balaam continued to go with Balak's nobles. I don't know about y'all, but at this point, I would have been too paranoid to come or go. I mean, 
God goes bipolar on Balaam and then turns around and sends him back on the exact path that he had him headed in the first place. It picks up right where it left off, almost as if that whole episode never even happened. And when Balaam meets up with Balak, he continues throughout the entire story to insist to the king, despite many attempts to persuade him differently, that he absolutely cannot do or say anything except what God allows. DeMello says that we are blinded by our preconceived notions, by our stereotypes, and most certainly by our fears. So what we have a tendency to do is to judge people and situations based on expectations that aren't grounded in what's real. And then based on these false judgments, we act like donkeys. When I looked in the pantry that day, I needed to see two cans of whole kernel corn and two cans of creamed corn. So when I looked in the pantry and that's not what I saw, I made the leap. I assumed, and we all know what happens when you assume things, James had accidentally bought too much whole kernel corn, when in fact he'd actually bought extra of both types of corn, but I couldn't see all of it, even when I rummaged around in there because I had already made up my mind about what was there and what had happened. So with a tone in my voice and a look on my face, I acted like a donkey. When what I really needed to do was wake up, I needed to see what was real or true. I mean, at the very least, I could have withheld judgment. I could have given James the benefit of the doubt until I had at least asked him about it and knew for sure what had happened. The final editors of the book of Numbers apparently could not imagine anyone outside of Israel with a personal and faithful relationship to God. So stuck in the middle of a story about a very faithful foreign prophet, we get Balaam and his talking donkey. And even more interesting, I think, is the way that this story has been told throughout the years to children. Even today, it's told this way. Megan and I both searched fairly extensively on the internet to find children's versions of the story. You know, how is this story generally told? And everyone that we ran across cast Balaam in a very negative light. They consistently made the claim that though Balaam was following God with his actions, clearly his heart must have not been in it. And that's why God sent this angel to block his path. They claimed that Balaam was an evil sorcerer who was driven by money rather than his love for God. That's what the emphasis is in every single version of the story that I could find online. It's weird how common that is. I mean, we do have a tendency to make judgments about people and situations based on a lot of false information, on assumptions and expectations, and most certainly grounded in fear that we have sometimes with tragic consequences. In our culture, ever since 9-11, faithful, compassionate, kind American citizens who happen to be Muslim are very often judged by the actions of a very few radicalized people who claim Islam. 
And those people are treated horribly. We need to wake up. We need to stop acting like donkeys. We need to stop making assumptions. DeMello says that in order to wake up, we have got to detach from judging and criticizing and analyzing everyone, including ourselves, and situations, because that's the only way to disarm ourselves enough to actually see what's there, to really perceive reality. DeMello was awake enough to recognize the gifts present in the practices of people of other faiths. He was open enough to learn about this Buddhist practice of Vipassana, which deepened his connection to God and opened him up to a much greater awareness of truth and reality. Jesus was pretty open too. He deferred judgment and he related to all kinds of people despite common cultural stereotypes and assumptions. In one case, he met and related deeply to a Samaritan woman at a well. Samaritans were cast in an extremely negative light in his time. And then he tells a parable where he casts another Samaritan as the hero. Jesus also has an encounter with a donkey. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey in the week leading up to his crucifixion. Completely unexpected, totally contrary to the assumptions that the Jewish people would have held about the Messiah's coming. I wonder if he rode in on that donkey to jar people out of their preconceived notions, to awake, awaken them, to reveal to them a reality and a truth that they would find really hard to see given their long-held expectations. Did he want them to see that redemption and salvation was not what they had always imagined? It was not about turning the tables to give any particular people power and privilege over another. And Jesus, by the way, he also tells us to wake up. He says it again and again and again throughout the Gospels and even in the book of Revelation. He warns anyone who will hear when he talks about recognizing the end times, he says, keep awake. Pay attention, y'all. And to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, stay awake so that you will not come into the time of temptation. And then at Christ's transfiguration, Luke's gospel tells us that Peter and James and John, they were all so weighed down with sleep. But because they stayed awake, they saw Christ in all his fullness and glory, bathed in a stunning and brilliant light. They clearly saw the reality of who he was. And then Jesus, again and finally, in the book of Revelations, he says to the seven churches, Look, I am coming. Blessed are those who stay awake. When we wake up to what is real, when we see the true nature of reality, we begin to see Christ in all the many and often very unexpected ways that he comes to us even through the lives 
of those who are faithful people who practice other religions. When we're open to God's truth and reality, we are so often surprised, but we are always transformed, able to live and speak and act in ways that truly honor God and express the love and grace that God always has for every one of us. May we all stop acting like donkeys and wake up. <laughs>